Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. This is where we explore third-way leadership in a polarized world, and we ask what it means to keep Jesus at the center through it all. We hope you'll find the conversation meaningful and that it equips you in your context with fresh approaches to facing some of the most challenging leadership and ministry questions of our day. And hey, if you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! We are a relational network of churches and ministry leaders with a vision to unite equip and amplify a movement that is all about Jesus. You can look us up on social media or head to our website at jesuscollective.com to learn more, find out what it means to get involved, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. I want to thank the whole team for putting this on. What a great, great conference this is for us to wrestle down some things and talk through some things, be stretched, be challenged, maybe be a little bit disrupted and disturbed, which is all good because it all leads to Jesus. Well, I am, uh, I feel like before I start, I think we're going to need some prayer. <laughs> I think I need the power of God to talk about power because it's, uh, it's, it's a, it seems simple, but very hard, difficult topic to navigate. So would you mind, let's pray together just for a moment. Yeah, so Father, we're so grateful to be in your presence, and we are just reminded that your word says where two or three are gathered, that you are in the midst of us. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Would you uh, speak to us now? And I decrease, God, as John said, Father, that you may increase. Help us to open our hearts and our minds and our understanding around Jesus-centered power, and in the areas that we are challenged God, today, would we lay it down? Yeah. Today, would we surrender it? Today, would we find that new way, that other way? And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when I was asked to talk about Jesus-centered power, I will be honest with you. I was both excited but a little bit uh, apprehensive. Can we talk? Can we talk? Okay. Um, I love speaking about power, but I was apprehensive in this particular space, in spaces like this, because I found that um, I come across a consistent challenge. Let me share it with you. Those in dominant culture, those in positions of leadership, those who have privilege, those who have influence, I notice that they find it difficult to be honest with acknowledging the power they operate in. In some, not all, it's not a blanket statement, there seems to be a difficulty or a resistance in reconciling or admitting that they lead, live, move, exist from a place of power. Why is that? I feel that the inability and this is what we want to do today. I feel like the inability to name the power that we have, that we operate in and from, is what prevents us from having an honest conversation. So my question to you, family, is can we have an honest conversation? So let's name some things today. Let's talk through some things. I believe that it's these honest conversations, however difficult and sticky, these are where once we mine in, I got that word from my friend. <laughs> I, Matt said mine, and I was like, I'm taking that. No, John said mine, and I grabbed that. Matt, John, John, Matt. I'm going to get it right right now. 
you're Majon, McJohn. <laughs> so Majon said, we're gonna mine through some things. And I said, yes and amen. Because I feel like this is where we find hope. I feel like in the difficulty and in the hardness and in the rough soil is where we can find true transformation. It's where we can find redemption. And it's where we can make, I think, significant culture-shifting change. So these hopeful conversations that I feel are necessary, um, they're important for us because we need to shift our power to a more Jesus-centered one. Can I get an amen from the... There she is. In, or, in order... <laughs> she's going to be on cue, guys. Just get ready. In order to lay a foundation for how Jesus uses and relates to power, let's look first at what Jesus-centered power is not. That's going to be real easy, okay? So when I looked at the world power systems, the, the powers of the empire, if you will, I, I just noticed seven, and I grouped them in sort of seven areas of world system power. Number one is political power. That's the power to create and or control the policies, functions, and culture of a society. Then there's governmental power, power to determine and execute the laws of the land. Then there's judicial power, power granted by government to interpret and decide laws. Then we have military power. That's organized power to enforce or protect national policies and rights. We have religious power, which I'm calling institutional power that drives world religions uh, dictating individual tenets of faith, just a general blanket. And then we have economic power. And I feel like that one is the one that we kind of know up front right away. That's financial power that drives the world economy. And I feel that those in economic power tend to be the world's decision makers. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And then I wanna kinda of camp here just for a minute and kinda of soak for a moment in here. Because this is the one that affects me and I'm being vulnerable with you on a day-to-day -day basis. It's where I intersect. This is what I call systemic power. Let me walk this through. These are beliefs, practices, cultural norms on which individual lives and institutions are built, okay? They're rooted in social constructions of gender and race, and, and they're embedded in history as well as present-day policies and practice. So they are what was and what is. These systems of power reinforce patriarchy and supremacist thinking, and therefore perpetuate a defining of power structures and relationships between those who I'll call without power the marginalized communities or minorities, if you will, and those with power that we're calling the dominant culture. What you need to know is systemic power is oppressive and it feeds the structural barriers that are the root causes of inequity and inequality. But most importantly, I love you so much. <laughs> My girl, yes. Yes, it does, sister. You, you preach it from the corner. But here's what's most important for everyone to know. Can we just say it together? It is not the way of Jesus. Say it. It is not the way of Jesus. Amen and amen. 
In fact, I've got a quote for you, and this is just something I've been thinking about, and you can test me on it, and we're going to keep qualifying as we go through. You can, you can, as they say, you can at me, you can tweet me, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Power that needs to be preserved. Power that needs to be protected through violence, through intimidation, through oppression, or the marginalization of others is not Jesus-centered power. It is something else completely. It is the opposite of that. These systems of power were in existence and at play even in the times of Jesus, even in the times of the first followers. These systems of government and politics and judicial and military power with the Roman soldiers, with religious, Sadducees, Pharisees, economic, all of it was in play. It governed the day heavily, in fact, as it does now. And in the midst of these ruling systems of power, Jesus offers another way to live. Praise God. A way that is antithetical to empire, to the world. It's a way Jesus doesn't just teach about, but he dedicates his entire life and ministry to modeling for his faithful disciples, to the cities and village and town members that would see him, to all who would witness his uh, generosity, his, his servanthood, his signs and wonders, and for every follower then to come and forevermore. That's you and I. It's a way that's unlike any other system. It's a way that's unlike any other power structure. It's a way that brings hope to the hopeless, identity to those who feel invisible, inclusion to those in the margins, and power to those who feel powerless. It's a different kind of power, this Jesus-centered power. It's one that works outside of, yet could easily affect and penetrate within worldly systems of power. This power that I'm speaking about was talked about in Acts 1.8. We know this all well. I'm surrounded by probably some of the most brilliant minds in the room. If you're the most brilliant person, no, just joking. Let's not start a war. Um, Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, all the untouchables, right? And to the end of the earth. This power that is being referred to, this dunamis power, this inherent explosive force is also at the same time dynamo. It's this constant flow of power. We who live a life for Christ are filled with this power of God, the same power of God that is referred to in Romans 8.11. The one that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Somebody say hallelujah for resurrection power. Come on. Yeah, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Wow. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. This resurrection, life-giving power is mentioned 57 times in the New Testament, and it is above all other powers. Can I say that again? It is above all other powers, as mentioned in Ephesians 1, 19 to 21. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. 
Now he is far above any ruler, far above any authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. That's the word of God. This Jesus-centered power is unlike any other power, my friends. It's unmatched. It's, it's different from. It's other than. It's not an external power that we wield, but one that flows from within the believer, spreading out to the world, giving them the ability to do things that are outside of their own capabilities, their own limited capacity, to change the world for the better. Come on. To make a difference in communities, to disrupt systems of empire. Do I have any holy disruptors in the building? Actually, this one I want to identify you because we're going to do coffee or something. I'm looking for troublemakers. Good, good trouble, good trouble. Okay, yeah. A lot of you didn't put your hands up. Am I in the right room? Yes, I am. In 2013, um, Andre, Andy Crouch, uh, an incredible author, um, Playing God, we know this book. If you don't, it's an amazing book. I encourage you to grab it. Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power speaks about this incredible power that all of us have access to. And what I love is that even the most vulnerable of vulnerable have access to this power. Here's what he says when he was exploring John 13. He recalls Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and he notes how in that moment, Jesus didn't give up power, but he redefined it forever. That's important to note. Because there are people that are fighting for power, thinking they're losing it. But in a Jesus-centered model, we are simply redefining it and laying it down. The Apostle John writes, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. This is John 13, verse 3 to 5. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Just get the image. We know it so well, but just grab that image for a moment. Drying their feet with a towel that he had wrapped around them. The disciples knew about Jesus' immense power. They had seen him perform signs and wonders. Uh, they were confounded as he um, literally left the teachers of the day speechless, uh, speaking around them in circles. Yet in this defining moment, Jesus takes on the role of a servant. Instantly, the kingdom is flipped upside down. And he doesn't relinquish his power, but he exercises it. He lays it down in an unexpected way. After washing their feet, Jesus says, and this is what I love. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. John 13, 12, 13. There's no false humility here in Jesus and I, can't, I, get, I get allergic to false humility. I think it gives me hives. I start to break out in a sweat. I can't handle false humility because false humility is just a sub, it's like this sort of subgrouping of pride. I'm just going to connect it. I just connected the dots for someone in the room. If you didn't know, I was, like, I was just doing that for you. Okay, yeah, just leave that right there. That was a connecting of the dots in the spirit, Shando. 
he and his disciples. <laughs> that was for the Pentecostals, just so we feel at home. Just trying to give us some home, home feel. Here we go. He and his disciples were fully aware of his power. Jesus didn't have false humility. He acknowledged it openly. Yet he easily lays it down to serve mankind. I want to submit this first thought. Jesus-centered power is not tight-fisted. It's not hoarded. It's not lorded over. It is open-handed. And it is easily surrendered in service. Yeah. It's that singular moment that Jesus modeled for us this new way, this different from way, this other than way of how we should both view and use power. Not in a way that lords over and demands from the less powerful, but that comes alongside and serves and gives restoration and dignity and empowers. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're living in, if we're honest with ourselves, my question is, are we living an open-handed life when it comes to power? Are we leading open-handedly? Are we serving open-handedly? Remember, power that needs to be preserved, needs to be protected through violence, intimidation, oppression, or the marginalization of the other is not Jesus-centered power. It's the opposite of that. And you know, while I'm here, let me just go to this side, since I'm giving a lot of hard truths. Let me come over here. You thought you were getting away. Nope. While I'm here, let me say this in the open, and I'm good. I actually was saved on the streets, so when I tell you I'm good, I, my skin is thick. We're good. I'm good to say it and, and keep that face. Creating church or feeding into systems that withhold power from certain groups while maintaining power for others is not open-handed, Jesus-centered living. It is the opposite of that. And while I'm here, one more. Operating, leading, conducting yourself, living in fear of losing power is not open-handed, Jesus-centered living either. Jesus-centered power is also a power that looks like radical welcome. Where world systems of power are built to alienate, divide, marginalize, exclude, a Jesus-centered power is a power that seeks to be welcoming and inclusive. Welcome and inclusion, ooh, wow, interesting idea. It should be the identifying marker of the church. Should. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> like Jesus modeled, it is an openness to difference. That's what I'm talking about. Let me break it down. It's an openness and a welcoming of diversity and the other. Romans 15, 7 says this, therefore, well, you, probably, you could probably say it with me because you know it so well. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In what ways, family, are you and I fostering a spirit of welcome? In what ways in our practices, in our structure, in the way we are doing community, are we fostering a spirit of inclusion in our ministries to the other? How are you embracing diversity? I want to share this from a personal experience. And I want to lay this here because I want to just clear the air. I'm just going to like, 
blow this out of this room because I want it gone. Invitation is very different from welcome. That's got a lot of lights. Sorry. Let me say it again. Invitation is very different from welcome. Can I break this down? I have been invited into spaces and not felt welcomed. I have been invited out of different intentions, and that's the difference. What is the defining factor here is intention. I have been invited out of duty. I have been invited out of obligation. Nobody wants to say anything, though, now. I've been invited to check off diversity boxes. But being welcomed, brothers and sisters, is a different feeling. Let me give you an analogy. I love this term, making space, and I love that you've embraced it so much, but can we drop it completely? Don't make space for me. When you are making space for me, what you are saying is that we have an existing place, building, structure, uh, thing set up, and we're going to look to carve some space for Cheryl because she's coming. Can you get, just scooch over there a little bit. Yeah, no, move the cup. Just, she's coming. Oh, it's tight. Now nah, she'll make it. She'll make, and you're making space for me to come in and not feel like I am part of. I don't feel like I can contribute. I don't feel like I can speak into an already existing hardened model. What I would love is a welcoming where I come into a room and to my shock and surprise, you are waiting because we're all gonna sit down at the table together. Or if we wanna do something even more radical, can we just build a new table? Can we do that? And so I want to talk about invitation versus welcome. So let me say this. Jesus-centered power, third thought, is a power to make equal. Where world systems of power are oppressive and feed the structural barriers that are the root causes for inequity and equality that I spoke about earlier, a Jesus-centered power is a power that equalizes. We can see this. We can see how Jesus intentionally lived his life to bring everyone on the same level. How he intentionally affirmed women, advocated for them. How he intentionally reached out to Samaritans, lepers, the so-called untouchable on the, on the margins. He intentionally modeled this idea that we are all sons and daughters of God. The Bible says in the last days that God says, I will pour out my spirit on some people. I was just checking. I was just saying, you, you get, okay. I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and, uh-oh, oh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. In Acts 2, we see at the time of Pentecost that men, women, Children, they were the most vulnerable demographic, were filled with the Spirit of God, speaking in tongues of their own language. In Acts 2, we see at the time um, this Holy Spirit dunamis, dynamo power at work. Peter said in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lean in here. The promise is for you and your children. Children, 
and for all who are far off. This is my part I love so much. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Statement number five. When it comes to accessing this dunamis, dynamo power, I am so thankful that there is no gender disparity. When it comes to the power of God, all are welcomed. Thank you, Jesus, for all whom our God has called. And let me say this, repeat after me, God has called women. It's okay. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, oh, God has called women. Yeah, God has called women to speak, to teach, to preach, whatever your denominational comfort is. <laughs> speak, preach, teach. Or discomfort, but I'll tell you something, never share. I don't share. That was a nice share. I don't share. <laughs> Honey, I teach, preach. Pick another one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Survey says... <laughs> Galatians 3.28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus-centered power brings commonality, oneness. It equals the playing field. I love that immediately, this is what I love, immediately in Acts 2, right after this incredible moment of followers being baptized with the Holy Spirit, the chapter tells us that they devoted themselves fiercely to building community. Right after, in that same chapter, they learned together. They broke bread together. They prayed together. A Jesus-centered power family is a power that unifies. It doesn't divide. Verses 44 to 45 says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. So let me say this. A Jesus-centered power is a power that does whatever is necessary to ensure equality in their community. A Jesus-centered power does whatever is necessary to ensure equality in their own community. This Jesus-centered approach to power is not only necessary, but I feel it's critical right now. It's, it's game-changing in this time that we're in. Having Jesus-centeredness influences and informs our approach to gender dynamics, uh, women and men leading together in the church. It influences and informs your approach to racial equality, to racial reconciliation. It even influences and informs your approach to social justice, knowing that that is what love looks like in public, and also advocacy as well. I want to quote Andy Crouch here, and I'm just kind of coming around the bend. He says, the Christian vocation, it seems to me, is to spend our power to empower those who have been made to feel powerless. <laughs> I love that, right? That right? A lot of power there. The Christian vocation, it seems to me, says Andy, is to spend our power to empower those who are made to feel powerless, to help them discover that in fact, God is providing 
um, them with his power and to discover, I love this, that this same divine power is also at work in them. Wow. Wow. Worldly power or the power of the empire is fueled by control and greed. Jesus-centered power has only one pump. It's fueled by love, period. I love what Lord Acton says. We know this famous quote. We all talk about it. Lord Acton famously said that power tends to corrupt. And absolute power, finish it, corrupts. Right. I believe that to be absolutely true. Oh, wow, I just got that. Absolute, absolute. I feel that to be absolutely true when Jesus is not at the center. 150% correct. But I believe when Jesus is at the center of power, that it does something very different. It, it, taken from that word dunamis, it actually creates. Follow me for a minute. I believe that a Jesus-centered power creates. It creates a new way of being. It creates a new world. It can create shifts in our culture. It can create peace. It can create welcome. It can create inclusion. It can create equality. It can create a bridge to the marginalized, right to the heart of the Father. It can create understanding. It can create commonality and acceptance. And I pray for us today that it will create in us a new heart. And that even after this moment, it would create new, challenging, honest, disrupting, hopeful conversations. But above all, may this Jesus-centered power give us a new way to live, to empower those without power. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can hear stories, find info about upcoming events and workshops, maybe even explore getting involved through partnership as a church or an individual leader. Listening is such an important part of our journey as an organization. So please feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and your feedback. Drop us a message on social media or you can email us at connect at JesusCollective.com. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center.